Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. Aren't you glad you're here tonight? My goodness, I'm thankful that I'm here, but I'm glad you're here as well. If you will join me in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be continuing a study we've been doing on the subject of holiness, a series entitled The Beauty of Holiness. And tonight from Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read a couple of verses, verses 31 and 32. Maybe you think a quite awkward start to the subject of holiness, but here we go. The Bible says that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiven one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Verse number 30, the Bible says previous to this, I perhaps should have added this. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby we are sealed into the day of redemption, then begins with these admonitions. Paul, to the church at Ephesus, amen. I'm thankful for the teaching of the word of God, and I promise you this evening that what will make our walk with the Lord exuberant is having a foundation under us. We need the teaching of the word of the Lord, amen. I'm thankful for preaching, but there is a difference, and we just want to sit down and let's warm our hands and hearts over the central truths of God's word. You can be seated this evening. My subject tonight is going to just simply be this, Christian attitudes. Amen. Christian attitudes. You ever had somebody come at you with an attitude? Amen. Some of you, that sounded pretty recent. Amen. The spirit of the Lord help us in this day. To have the right attitudes because tonight I, I want to just go ahead and say it for the record and let this opening comment just sort of serve as the foundation for everything that we'll discuss over the next couple of hours. I believe that attitudes are the most important elements of holiness. Our spirit's got to be right. Our heart's got to be right. Our attitude has got to be right. And so if a person has a proper attitude toward God and they have a proper attitude before their fellow man, then I believe that holiness will be manifested in every other aspect of their life. But it has to begin somewhere. And there's a critical place. And those critical places are the places of beginning. Because if we don't have the right attitude, there is no amount of outward holiness. And I believe in outward holiness. But if we don't have the right attitude, there is no amount of outward holiness that can compensate for the lack of inward holiness in the sight of God. Because he sees us for who we are. And we are bare before him. 
And so it doesn't matter how we dress up, so to speak, the outside. The Lord sees our heart and he sees our motive and, and he knows what our intentions are. I believe that love is the basic attitude that distinguishes between true Christians and the world. And uh, I know that love can seem all mushy and, and uh, murky at times. But I believe that all of the law and all of the prophets, according to Scripture, can be summed up in two commandments, and that is love God and love your fellow man. We can boil it all down to those two things primarily. But our love for God is going to be proven by how carefully we obey His Word because we can't say we love God and we can't say we love His Word if we don't live in obedience to His Word. And then love for one another, of course, is the ultimate test of true Christianity. And that is, uh, by this shall all men know your mind. That is the earmark. That is the, maybe that is the heart mark. By this shall all men know that your mind. We are going to disagree on certain issues. That is, there is no doubt about that. Um, you disagree with the person that you're the closest to. I mean, there's probably no one in this world that you love any more than your companion or any more than your children or any more than your parents. Those are very significant relationships, but we still at times can disagree on certain issues, but we can't become resentful and we certainly can't become vengeful about those, those moments or those, th those things we may disagree on. And so Paul lists several things in and uh, this few passages in, in Ephesians. And so I want to just take them one at a time. And uh, let's just talk about them as they apply to us today, the church in the real world, the day-to-day -day world. Because we don't always live right here. And it don't always feel just like this. <laughs> Amen. It doesn't always feel as marvelous as it felt here this past Sunday or as wonderful as it's going to feel this coming Sunday, we live in the day-to-day -day world. And let's talk about a few things. Let's talk about anger, why don't we? Amen? And if you don't like any of these subjects, I'll just keep bouncing back to patience, and then whatever we come to after that, you'll feel like you got a great deal. If anger is allowed to go uncontrolled, it usually manifests itself in a, in a desire to lash out at someone or something. But if anger is controlled... Because there is a right anger. There's a proper, there's a, a self, uh, not a self-righteous, but there's a righteous indignation. There are, and there are places and times that anger is, is appropriate. If anger is uncontrolled, we've all been exposed to people that have uncontrolled anger. And aren't they pleasant to be around? And then we've been around those that have controlled anger. When anger is controlled, when anger is used properly, as it, can even, it can even be a positive thing, a construction thing. It can be a beneficial thing, a constructive thing. For example, Jesus displayed anger against the sin when he cleansed the temple. And we kind of, that's sort of our go-to mark when it comes to controlled anger. However, anger that causes you to hurt someone or anger that causes us to sin in any other way, that kind of anger is wrong because anger that you carry in your heart and anger can get in your heart and you can begin to nurse a grudge and those things become wrong. So there's a balance that we've got to find in all of this. And so we have to at some point forgive the individual 
or the individuals that are involved, whatever caused us to be anger or angry. And, and regardless of the circumstances, we've got to exercise that sense of temperance or self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, that must be displayed. We've got to bring that into check. And so I am speaking tonight to men and women who have been there where you had to just realize, I've got to let go of this and I've got to move on. I've just got to forgive the individual or the individuals because we realize that as long as we hold them, we hold us. And it's not worth it. And we're just going to have to move on because it begins to bring us down. It becomes a weight in our own heart. And then Paul talks about evil speaking. Evil speaking, again, that comes from an, from an evil heart. And, 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 and it stems from many things. But one of those things can be jealousy. He talks about malice. Uh, and malice is an act of ill will or a desire to hurt someone. Now, I, I know we would not ever want somebody to charge us with these things because they seem too brutal and too bloody. But these things exist. Malice takes pleasure in causing someone to suffer or to see someone uh, to see someone suffer in some type of circumstance. And it usually is a result of the spirit of hate, which is as bad as murder in the eyes of God. And so we need to be able to rejoice when someone rejoices and weep with them that weep. We need to be able to connect ourselves to them, but we should never rejoice in the misfortunes of other people. I believe that some tonight have lived long enough. Maybe you were wronged and at some point in your weak humanity you thought, well, when the score gets settled, that's going to be a happy day for you. But you live long enough to watch that reckoning day come and it wasn't pleasant, was it? It was a very difficult thing. If it's not a difficult thing, we really do need a heart exam. Amen. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but the Bible says that love rejoices in truth. And then, and then Paul talks about envy and, and jealousy. And these are emotions that are closely associated with bitterness and wrath and malice and strife. And you might find some overlapping layers of all of this. But when we think about the spirit of envy or the spirit of strife, strife simply means conflict. If we think about those things, when, the, when we give way to the spirit of envy or the spirit of strife, that can produce any amount of evil. You don't get to decide. When you allow that seed to grow in your heart, there is no telling what's going to come out of your spirit. Because we have allowed fertile ground for these places and for these things to grow. We think about envy and, and jealousy, and that, that consists of begrudging of, of uh, other people's uh, possessions or begrudging someone else's accomplishment. Envy is the work of the flesh, and envy will keep us out of heaven. You know, we think, well, if I just don't rob a bank, if I can just, you know, if I can just destroy that pack of Marlboro or crush that can of Budweiser, everything's going to be all right. Well, you're right on all those points, but there are also some issues of the heart that we've got to be very, very careful because envy is the work of the flesh. And so when we begrudge somebody else's compliment, accomplishments or we begrudge their position in life, for one thing, that it's, it's wrong and that, that's, that can keep us out of heaven. But sometimes we begrudge them for where they are without even realizing the path they went down to get there. 
the spirit can that spirit can surface so unexpectedly and 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 that envy and jealousy can just come up in places where it shouldn't be and it can come out of nowhere now i'm just going to ask you to remain seated here for this next part but haven't we all been there just out of nowhere i'm not suggesting that you camped out and you don't have to get quiet don't gather up the children but We've all been there. You, you just like, you see some great accomplishment. You see someone that just seemed like they really succeed and have several things. Have you ever had this conversation on the way home or at home? Have you ever had this conversation? What am I doing wrong? I mean, no matter how much I sweep up in a pile, it just seems like the slightest wind blows it away and, and it just doesn't seem like a turbulent storm would ever even affect their lives because everything looks so wonderful. But that's all a matter of perspective, perhaps. Amen. Maybe somebody else has recognized more than you or more than me. We've got to beware of the spirit of envy because envy can just come out of nowhere. You can just be minding your own business and then all of a sudden... Amen. Come on, somebody. I'm just out of nowhere. Just that can just, I'm not suggesting that you built your house around that, but you just got to deal with that. You've got to do with something about that and say, wait, not here. Not today. We're, we're not going there. We have to beware of the spirit of envy because it can keep us out of heaven. We talk about forgiveness and in places all of these evil attitudes. We are exhorted to be kind to one another. That's what the writer said. Paul, to be kind to one another, to be tender hearted and to be forgiving. And forgiveness is based on love and it, and, it, and it entails or it involves bearing the cost of someone else's mistake. Someone, they got out of their lane and it just and it interrupted destroyed perhaps elements of your life and so forgiveness is not based on what's deserving or what's right forgiveness is saying you know what whatever this takes I just I may have to bear the cost of some of this I may have to wear a little bit of this but I want to move on it means giving up our rights in certain situations Amen. Maybe ignoring certain things when you know you're right, when you know you were done wrong. I'm, we're not talking about assumed wrong because sometimes you can legitimately be done wrong. And you just have to move on and say, you know, I'm just not going to build my life, the rest of my life around this. This is where I am. This is what I'm going through. I'm going to release this. I'm going to forgive. Amen. Most importantly, forgiveness includes forgetting. And I know that kind of takes us into a little bit deeper water. But here's, here's what we have to bear in mind. Jesus taught us that he would forgive us as we forgive others. And so that means that my hand is on the valve of forgiveness flowing into my life. And so if I want it open to flow in, I've got to let it be open to flow out because I don't want the Lord to hold something against me because I'm holding something against somebody else. But I'm in the book, amen, I'm really in the book tonight. And so if we want to be forgiven of our sins, then I must learn how to forgive others. And I will tell you tonight in just an absolute moment of honesty that it is a lot easier to talk about all this than it is to live it out Amen. at times. And we're not talking about forgiving somebody for getting your parking place. You can overcome that fairly easy. But there are some things that become mountains that we have to deal with 
a spoonful at a time. But God will help us. And He will, absolutely. He talks about the spirit of bitterness. Many times there, there are people in life that no one can satisfy because they have a spirit of bitterness. They complain. They cannot accept correction without becoming angry because there is bitterness. And we're going to talk about this for just a moment because from a bitter heart comes the seeds of discord. And they, they can become talebearers and and can become people that just sort of cause problems wherever they go. There's just sort of a dust storm that follows them around. And that is a very tragic thing to happen in the life of somebody that's been filled with the Holy Ghost. we got to guard against the spirit of bitterness. This could perhaps be attributed to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 and 15. The writer of Hebrews refers to a root of bitterness. Now, there's an educated audience here tonight, and so we understand that you can pull up a plant, but if you don't get the root of that plant, it, it it can remain unseen, but you just leave it alone a little while, and enough sunshine, enough water, the right climate, and it's coming back because the root is still there. And so to get rid of the root of bitterness, you gotta do more than just sing. You've got to do more than just get happy one Sunday night or one Sunday or one Wednesday and shout a little bit. You've got to get down to the root of the matter. The root of bitterness is the source of bitterness in a person's life. And, and this is something in the heart that calls all the outward manifestations that we've just been talking about. Envy and strife and jealousy and, and divisions and discord. And it all comes from that root of bitterness. And from this root, all manner of things can happen. The actual root itself could be a grudge against somebody for an incident that happened in their life or jealousy over a particular situation. It could be something that's in their heart that's never been fully surrendered to God. We've got to get to the heart of the matter, the root of the matter. And so when bad attitudes begin to manifest themselves, we got to check to see if the source of all those things is my own heart. Where is this coming from? <clears throat> Amen. I don't want to just put all our business in the street, but in your, in your house, have you ever just had fruit and you just start seeing those little flies? Fruit flies, I guess. I don't know what you call them. And you don't even realize anything's wrong. You just see one fly and you kill them. A little like a gnat kind of thing and kill it. We got it until the next one. And then we just got to stop everything. Because somewhere along the way, an orange or a tangerine or something has fallen out of the bag. It's rolled up under something. And you got to keep going till you find the root of it. The root of it. Many years ago in the, in our, in the dining hall, we used to have carpet. And there was a, a, an odor, a bad odor that, that we could could smell but you just never could identify one day I walked in the dining hall and, and there were people on their hands and knees I'm talking about commitment <laughs> real commitment so we're going to find this and sure enough they found the source and so you, you can't just wipe something over that you got to deal with it there's something there and you got to be committed to just say well I've looked here I've looked there we've tried this we tried that somebody said we're going to have to get to the heart of the matter and it wasn't a pleasant thing. It wasn't a fun thing. But somebody said, we got to deal with this. And you got to understand that somewhere in my heart, there's something wrong. I got to get to the end of this. And I got to get rid of it. And if I get rid of that, it's going to bear a much more enjoyable fruit. 
Because you can identify certain things by the fruit it bears. You can identify an apple on an orange tree just by seeing the fruit. And by the same token, when a fruit or a root of bitterness appears in other people, it's very easy to see. Very easy to identify. So we have to avoid participation in gossip and, and envy and hatred and strife that comes out of this source. And we just simply, how do you do that? You just simply refuse to partake. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Because if you're not careful, you just participate a little bit and that root will get in your heart and it'll be in your mind because you can't unhear things. Oh, how I wished you could. You can't unsee things. Oh, oh, how I wish that somehow you could just go back and hit delete. But it's not possible. And so a, a true Christian's attitude stands in stark contrast to the root of bitterness and all the attitudes that become that come rather as a result of that. David said in Psalms 119, 165, great peace, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Peace is one of the greatest attributes, one of the greatest results, one of the greatest gifts of being justified or being counted right in the sight of God. I'm thankful for the spirit of peace. But true obedience to God, true obedience, real from the heart obedience to God will keep us from being offended. His word teaches us that we, can, that we must not be offended and that we must not offend others. There's a dual side to this sword that we can't be offended and that we cannot and must not offend others and so the meaning of the word offended in Psalms is that nothing would be a stumbling block to those who who love the word of God and so we don't need to let anything be a stumbling block in our heart and then we don't need by the same token to be a stumbling block to others regardless of where whether uh, we're right or not we can't become offended and refuse to forgive if we want to be saved. I'll promise you, if we could just somehow mystically know when the Lord was going to come, there's some things we would deal with. That's, that's the absolute truth. There's some things we will want to get done right now. Take care of that. And so if we love God, we're going to let nothing become a stumbling block. And it's that mindset, not fear, but expectation that we ought to live with every day. I don't want anything here to hinder me. I don't want anything in my heart. I don't want anything in my mind. I don't want anything in my spirit. I don't want anything in my path. I don't want it to be a stumbling block to me, but I don't want to be a stumbling block to others. Amen. I believe that this is, is humanly impossible. But the Bible says with him all things are possible. We can't just do this on our own will because we're just that strong or we're just that good of a person. Amen. We need the Spirit of God to give us, make impossibilities possible by helping us to be forgiving and helping us to be kind and helping us to be tender hearted amen helping us not to have a root of bitterness and helping us not to have envy and strive and allow a place for that to grow and ferment in our heart amen we were having an issue a number of years ago in our cemetery with uh, sand spurs that may sound pretty trivial unless you we're privileged to see the sand spurs I'm talking about. And so I have a good friend, Brother Rodney Weekly's in the sod business, his family. This is their world. This is their wheelhouse. And so Brother Mike Tumman just dedicated no telling how much time, months and months and months and months. 
in extreme measures of patience and uh, an effort to help eradicate and rid those, at least push them back. And so I was talking to Brother Weekly about it one time, and I said, you know, we're just, we're just trying to figure out what to do. And he, he said this. He said, sand spurs are the end result of unhealthy soil. And so he said, I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but the real answer is getting the soil right. <laughs> well, the preacher in me got a hold of that. Because we're thinking, you know, what, what do we do here? And there are treatments, and, and that was being done. But it was the, the root of the matter. The root of the matter is there's something wrong with the soil. That's the heart of the matter. And so in that unhealthy soil, all kind of things can grow. And the answer is you got to do something to the soil. That's the real answer. And the psalmist says, show me thy ways, O Lord, and teach me thy paths. And, and uh, you know, we need the Spirit of God to help us to do something to encourage and cultivate the soil of our heart and to make it better. And so David said, show me thy ways and, and teach me thy paths. But some people have the opposite attitude of that and they feel as though they never need anyone to help in, enhance the soil of their heart. They never need any correction or need any reproof or need any exhortation, but that's contrary to the word of God. God has placed government within the church. I'm thankful for that. Never, we should never be so great that we can't accept admonition or that we can't accept exhortation or that we can't even accept rebuke. Hebrews 13 and 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. A bad report is unprofitable to us. Amen. The scripture applies to ministers, and this scripture applies to ministers and saints alike. This is not just for one element of the body of Christ. Amen. First and foremost, God has ordained rulers in the church. Amen. That's, that's the church government, and that is found in the word. And he is an organized system of church government. Secondly, I believe that we all collectively must be humble and we must obedient be obedient. Samuel said to Saul, it is better to, be, to obey than it is to sacrifice. So there's nothing that we could offer God that's going to cover up disobedience. We can't do enough good to cover up wrong. Third, a true leader has a duty to watch over our souls. And so if they see something that is sinful or they see something that is dangerous, there is an obligation because we must give an account. We must give an account. And so we should accept Whatever that is, exhortation, uh, reproof, rebuke, or admonitions, whatever they may be, we must accept that without becoming angry because somebody's fulfilling their duty. You ever seen somebody pulled over the side of the road and they're just fuming mad? They may have been running 107. But the person behind them that pulled them over, they're just fulfilling their obligation. They're not out picking on someone Amen. A leader is responsible to God. That's something that we must keep in mind. A leader must warn and, and, must, and they are responsible. We are held account accountable to God if we do not sound a warning. And so whether, whether if, as a leader, let me just say this about myself, whether I warn you or not is between me and God. But whether you listen and submit is a problem between you and God. 
So once an admonition goes forth, if I'm right biblically, then it's off of me. And now it is on you. Amen, just for the sake of this illustration tonight. And so whether we embrace this or not, if I do not do my job, then I've got to answer to God for that. But once my job is done as a pastor or shepherd, amen, then that be, that becomes your problem. That's going to be between you and God, how you hammer that out. Proverbs 17 and 10, a reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. Amen. I say, Lord, don't let me walk off the cliff. Let somebody say, let somebody say something. Amen. Somebody just needs to be a friend. Somebody needs to understand that I don't want to, I don't want to see someone in danger or wreck their lives. And so if we're wise, we're going to accept reproof. And so if you think you're beyond reproof, then you've placed yourself in a position of that of a scorner or a wicked man. I'm in the book. Both the rebuker and the rebuked must have a proper attitude. If we have the right attitude, then there's going to be right results. There's going to be a positive end. Amen. There's nothing in the scriptures that, that we have used that suggests that, that as a minister myself or any other ministers in our church, that we're exempt from these guidelines. This word applies to all of us. And so that's why I have always been careful to keep myself aligned with authority and to have accountability in my life. And I know I talked about this just a few services ago, but I don't just talk about it to talk about it. And I don't just use terms and phrases and titles to, to try to impress some listening ear. But there is accountability in my life. Amen. I have an accountability partner. My wife knows who that accountability partner is would be and have more than one and she knows how to contact them if I get out of line and I don't put yes men as my accountability partner that would be foolish right. foolish for somebody to just think I'm all that in a bag of chips no matter what I'm doing because I'm not all that in a bag of chips and there's at least a couple of people that could confirm that I'm in this thing to be saved myself. After having preached to others, it would be foolish to not build in these safeguards in my, in my own life. Amen. Paul talks about murmuring and complaining. And so we need to discuss this subject because to complete our discussion, our, our attitude towards spiritual leadership has got to be right in our heart. Because those that murmur and complain, are you ready? They are ungodly, according to Jude they're ungodly. And so murmurers and complainers have got to, you got to get a hold of that spirit because it is a spirit and it will move in and all of its family will come with them. The church is to pray for one another and, and encourage one another and exhort one another. Paul said, do all things without murmuring, without disputings. And if there is a problem, there is a scriptural method to resolve a problem. If there's something that, that happens and you, you, don't, you, don't, you have a disagreement with a brother, Matthew 18 outlines, if you don't agree, how to go and settle that difference. And if we'll do it God's way, oh my goodness, if we'll do it God's way, it will be right in the end. I remember the very first time I was ever exposed to a broken piece of metal being welded. I was just a young boy and I was, I was in the welding shop and watching this man weld a broken hitch. And so 
the man that was doing the weld, and I asked him. I didn't really know anything about the process. I didn't know if it had to cure or just how, how that worked. But when it was all welded up, I was inquisitive, and I wanted to know how long we needed to wait before we could use that. He said, son, you can use it right now. And I said, it won't break again? He said, oh, he said, if I've done my job right, this hitch may break, but it won't break here. And I never forgot that, even as a young boy. And I've watched again and again, if we do it God's way, something may break again, but it won't break there. Because we're going to do it God's way. And there's a biblical way to do that. It's wrong to complain. Can I just get a witness? It's wrong to murmur to others. You know why? Because that is sowing discord. And so look at the example of the children of Israel. None better. In all the Bible, if we look at them, they begin to show their dispositions toward leadership just as they began their wilderness journey. I mean, they're just barely out of the, out of the Red Sea before they're murmuring and complaining, Moses, Moses. And, and they start murmuring. If you're, if you're reading your Bible this year, you've, been, you've already been reading about that. And, and uh, we're reading where they're already. I mean, they just had this miracle, this wonderful thing. And, and God is saying, just move over, Moses. I'll take care of this. You just keep reading after a while. Amen. The, Moses is saying, just move over, Lord. <laughs> Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? And it was all an end result of murmuring and complaining. Their murmuring stemmed from unbelief and a lack of respect for God's appointed leadership. I'm just thinking that if a man held a staff over the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground and the, and the, and the enemy was drowned behind them, we got this. Yes, sir. Whatever this man says, follow him. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just not how it works, is it? Amen. I'm under no delusion to think that's how it works. Jude 11 warns about Korah. Korah that criticized Moses and not only challenged his, his uh, spiritual authority, but in doing so, he challenged, God's, uh, he challenged God's authority. And the Bible says that the earth opened up and swallowed them. And then Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses. And the Bible says that the Lord heard it in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 2. And Miriam and Aaron were older than Moses and, and part of his own family. But you know what? God rebuked them just the same. He didn't look at that like it was just a family thing and now we got a license to do whatever we want to do. He was God's person. He was God's anointed and Miriam was struck with leprosy for seven days as a punishment. Amen. So that should teach us to avoid murmuring and complaining, especially against leadership. And if you feel like you're being mistreated, murmuring and complaining is not the solution to the problem. The answer lies in prayer and in talking directly to the person that's creating the situation because it may be that the devil, it may be a real situation, but it may be that the devil's just having a heyday because we're giving him part of our heart and our mind and our attention. And I will tell you this, that complaining is contagious. And I have had to deal with the spirit of complaining in my own life. Because once you start complaining, amen. Just wherever you go, whatever you, you can just find. You sit down and rest and they bring you water. You take a sip. That tastes funny to you. And it's on. And the biscuits aren't going to be warm enough. They're not going to be soft enough. And the eggs are going to be, too, you know, it just starts. But it's contrary to the word of God. And, and so we need forgiveness and, and, and bitterness to be gone and murmuring and complaining. Then Paul talks about busybodies. Now, 
that we've discussed the attitude towards spiritual leaders, we need to also discuss the attitude toward other people, fellow man, particularly fellow Christians. A busybody is someone that's inquisitive. That's a nice way to put that, isn't it? I struggled over what word to put there. A busybody is somebody that's inquisitive about other people's personal affairs. But the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 15 tells us not to suffer as a busybody in other men's matters. According to Proverbs 20 and 3, a meddler is a fool. Amen. That's strong. That is very, very strong. But it is the Bible. Some people seem to know a little, about, little bit about everybody else's business. They're involved in all kind of problems. They're first responders. <laughs> but not in a positive way. They're first responders. And they can smell trouble coming 12 hours ahead of time. And they're the first on the scene. And they're trying to figure out everything that's going on. And often they act like they're operating in the gifts of the Spirit. But actually they're just operating in the gift of suspicion. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> but it is the truth. And so we're just trying to smile our way through some toughness here. But this is real business. Because a meddler is a fool and I don't want to be a fool and I don't want to meddle in somebody else's business I don't even like to go through my wife's purse I'm being very serious she has the most organized purse you've ever seen she'd probably take a few minutes to show you that tonight she don't have it with her okay but I can't find anything in there if it was spray-painted orange with a blinking light. But it's not her. It's very organized, but that just seems like off-limits to me. But you know what? She feels the same way about my wallet. I said, just get it out of my wallet. She's like, I don't want You know, aren't you thankful for boundaries? Somebody respects some boundaries? I need to move on. I think we got people... <laughs> Plundering around each other's wallet here. I don't know. But sometimes that, that, that busy body spirit can help make people feel like they're more important. That They know a little bit about everything. and They're just that National Enquirer kind of mindset. But actually, here's the bottom line. They can't be trusted. You can't trust a meddler. And you can't trust it. You better not. Because if they'll talk to you about them, they'll talk to them about you. Amen. And so there's some things in life that we need to know that we can share in confidence. And we can talk about that, and whoever we're talking to, they're going to, you couldn't beat that out of them. I'm not talking about sinful things, but just things. But as a result, being a busybody disqualifies people from ministry. Amen. Because to be in ministry, I'm not talking about licensed pulpit ministry. I'm talking about ministry. You've got to have trust. People have got to know that they can trust you. Amen. Musicians, if you'll come, it'll help all of us. And so here, here is a, one more bottom line. And this is where we have to be honest. Some people are just inquisitive by nature. There are some children that are born, they could care less if it was daylight or dark. 
That's their nature. But there are some children that are born. They're just born inquisitive. They're going to poke around and peek, and they're going to look. And there are some children, you can wrap a gift and put it under a tree, and you could leave it there three years, and they're not going to shake it. That's just not in them. It's just we'll do it when we do it. And there are some children that can't sleep a night through because they're just inquisitive by nature. So I'm not trying to be comedic. I'm really going somewhere. If you are inquisitive by nature, you need to nail that nature to the cross. If it is leading us to the spirit of being a busybody and a meddler, amen. So that may not be somebody else's cross to bear, but it may be your cross to bear. Amen. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. The writer talks about pride and a proud look. And here's what the scripture says. God hates a proud look. Man, there is some, there is some real key words in scripture. When I read about something God hates, you got my attention. I want to I mark that. I want to underline that. God, the Bible talks about resist the proud. Oh, my goodness. I want to mark that. And the pride of life is one of the three basic categories of worldliness that tempt Christians. So we got to be very careful. we got to be careful that we don't allow that attitude to develop in us. A few days ago, um, I was doing something, and uh, it, it was not really a church event. And uh, I was taking care of a few things, and... and um, I was standing in, in line by, beside a businessman and people come walking by and, and, and several people as they came by, they were giving me a compliment. And so my friend looked at me and said, man, if we don't get you out of here, we're not going to be able to get your head in the truck to get home. I said, no, 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 no. I said, before I can get home, good life will take care of that. No matter how warm and fuzzy you're feeling right now, that phone can ring at any minute and just get your feet right back on the ground. Amen. And so we don't welcome problems. I'm not saying that, but pride can be a very dangerous thing. You need to keep it in check. Another thing about those things, you need to realize this, is that the same people that was talking about Saul, it's the song we never heard. The song we never heard was the song all the people sang to Saul about slaying his thousands. The song we've all heard was the song, the second song they wrote about David, slaying his ten thousands. And so people can be fickle and things can change. That's my point. But here's the Pharisee in Luke 18 and 9 that was talking about the prayer of the Pharisee when he compared that to the prayer of the publican. And God rejected his pious prayer, but he heard the sincere cry of a person's heart. Amen. Oh, God, help us that we can really understand the value that we can't let pride get in our heart and all these other things. Amen. I know that sometimes we think holiness is all to do with everything that people can see. But holiness starts here. Amen. And I've got something written down and I just need to get to it here and I'll close. But 
perhaps the most important part of all of this is the proper attitude. And here's what it is. Inward holiness will lead to outward holiness. Are you with me? But the reverse is not true. The reverse is not true. You get your heart right, there'll be something that starts manifesting itself on the outside. But if we start on the outside, there is no guarantee. As a matter of fact, it probably comes a, becomes a roadblock to something taking place on the inside. So I say, Lord, help us. Because I'll promise you that of all the things we could discuss this evening, and I'll just end with this, that outward holiness will be the easiest thing we ever obey. And there are people that get hung up on this. Say, well, I could just never do. I could just never, I could never, I could never. Well, there's a lot of bridges to cross before we even get there. Amen. You know, we just ended this past Saturday, 21 days of, of fasting. And there's a multitude of ways to fast biblically. And we were doing a what we refer to as a, a progressive fast. You leave off a few things one week, a few more things the next week, a few more things the next week. And, um, you know, sometimes the sheer discipline to say yes to this and no to that. I have felt it myself. I heard others say it. If you said it to me, I'm not talking about you. I don't remember anybody that said this. It's just easier not to eat anything at all. I agree. Because we don't like discipline. I agree. So it would just be easier to wipe it all out. But you see, that's not really sometimes the answer. And I'm not talking about fasting. It is the answer in fasting. But sometimes people just think the answer is no. No. I remember walking in a man's office one time. There was a, it was a strange situation. But it was on his desk, instead of saying his name, it just said, before you ask, the answer is no. Well, that's kind of a lazy approach because some things are not that simple. You got to thread your way through it. So I pray, Lord, help us. Amen. Let's magnify. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.